Hey, listen, uh, he's risen. Yeah. Um, there should be a reason. I mean, when I look to the crowd, I should see everyone smiling. It's a little cold outside, but I'm telling you, there is reason to celebrate. My name is Moises. I'm the pastor here. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Hopefully, you're enjoying your time here with us um, as we get to celebrate our King, for He has risen. Amen. Um, you know, Holy Week has been pretty insightful so far when you take Sunday through Saturday and you, you look at those things and you say to yourself, man, you know, it, it, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of mourning going around. We're, we're sad. We're, we're, we're hurt because our, our Savior is taking on all this pain for you and I. And, and, but today, that's not the case. Today is, is when we actually celebrate. You know, it, none of this would have mattered if it wasn't because of what he did today. We, we fast forward to this morning, and if today did not happen, what we're doing this morning would not have any meaning behind it. We could turn off the lights now, turn off the sound right now, and go back home, because if God did not come back to life on the third day, if that stone wasn't rolled away, then everything we do, our faith is completely futile. But because he rose, because he rose, we get to celebrate this morning. I already smile. All the time, all right? So I don't need a reason to smile, but man, I have this joy in my heart celebrating this morning. I've been, I've been struggling with a little bit of, a, of, a, of, of some um, sickness. It, I don't know. Don't, don't get freaked out. I'm okay. Um, but man, I'm, I'm still excited. I'm still excited. The conclusion of this, uh, this is the conclusion of his public ministry. And I'll take you through a quick summary of what it's been so far. So Judas betrays Jesus. This leads to his arrest. Then the, the leaders question Jesus and turn him over to formal disposition by, by the Roman leader Pilate at the time. All right. After the debate between himself, Jesus, and some chief priests, Pilate then Pilate has Jesus turned over eventually to be executed. Jesus died, is buried, and on the third day, his followers come to the tomb to find it empty. Then Jesus appears to his closest followers in announcing the resurrection, confirming that he is who he says he was. No, that who he says he actually is. Jesus is still alive today, operating in power today. Amen? Amen? Now, why did all this have to take place? Why do we feel like, why, why is this this reason to celebrate? Why do people storm the churches on Easter Sunday? Why is this our Super Bowl Sunday for the Christians? You know, it, it is one of the central points of our faith, this resurrection. It is known as the good news, not the bad news of Jesus. All right? Without the resurrection, followers of Jesus would have no hope. Our faith in, in the testimony of God and Christ would be useless. During the resurrection of Jesus, we all receive life. I don't want to begin to imagine what this Sunday morning would have been like without the resurrection of Jesus. I still, to, my, to this day, I wonder how people go through their daily lives without having this hope and this light and this joy. Because this world is pretty rough without it. It's so powerful that people get to do it once a year and carry it on for the rest of the year. That's how powerful the resurrection is. You can get that one year hit from it. 
and muddle through the rest of your life, the rest of the year, and come back the very next year. That's how powerful the resurrection is. It's the source of our lives. In John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, it says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Today's sermon title is The Promise of Life, is The Promise of Life. Because life is such a precious gift, but we take it so much for granted. We have come to the conclusion as people that it, life is just something that is supposed to happen to us. Have you ever met someone who is never thankful for the right things that happen? Don't look at the person next to you. It could get real in here. All right? You know, you, you have those, you ever have a supervisor or a boss or a person that, that, that only comes up to you when things are bad? The idea of no news is good news? I used to be like that a lot, a lot earlier in my marriage. I wouldn't, you know, the compliments early on, I was silly, stupid, wrong. I know, I, I, all of it. I, would, I wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? I would, I, would, I would assume that the good things in my marriage were supposed to happen. And I wouldn't have that compliment. And a lot of us treat life the same way. We, we wake up every morning assuming that this is the way it's supposed to be, that I'm supposed to get this. So much so that we lose appreciation for it. We have replaced the appreciation of simply having life in the morning when we wake up to the obsession of being happy and generating happiness in our lives. Everyone seeks happiness without exception. It's what we all do. People seek it differently, but they all want the same outcome. This is the motive of every action of every man that gets taken, even of those who take their own lives to the point where life becomes so insignificant that in the seek of happiness, people end up taking their own lives. You see how that doesn't work out? How that doesn't make any sense? So why would God go through all this to grant you and I life, knowing that we could only be persistent in the pursuit of something else in a way, and we treat life like it's not really that important? Now, if you were to say to me, yeah, you're going to lose your life today, I'll be like, wait a second. Let's prioritize life here for a second. But we wake up every morning and we don't acknowledge that we have been given a precious gift by God. And it all stands on this resurrection. Instantly, when Jesus came back to life, we receive life. The bridge for eternity became available to us. And now, as people, we have access to eternity with our Savior. Which leads me to my first point is number one, we were created for his glory. <clears throat> In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, it says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. First Corinthians 10:31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we weren't only created for his glory. We are meant to also live for his glory in every single thing we do in our lives. Created speaks of design while living speaks of duty. The gift of life that you and I benefit from today is not ultimately our benefit only. It is meant to bring God glory. 
He is the main thing, the measure of all things, the goal to all things. The entire universe is all about God. There is never too much God. You ever had a buddy that questioned you about constantly going to church? Some people are like my four-year-old. There's never too much God. My four-year-old the other day, he goes to school at a church, okay? We're pastors, so we're always at a church. When we're going out to eat, we got to stop at the church real quick and grab something. On our way back from eating, we got to stop at the church. The other day, he finally looked at me, and it hit home for me because I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, hey, we got to go to the church. You ready? He said, not the church again. I said, listen, but Jesus is waiting for us. I'm not saying that's theology, okay? I, that's just what I said to him at the time. I said, Jesus is waiting for us. And he just starts screaming, no, Jesus, no more Jesus, no more Jesus. As I slowly stepped away from him and I was like, God, he's the one. No. <laughs> no, but you, you have to understand the thought process. We act like a four-year-old at times. Too much of God. I want my own life. It says here on the verses that we read, everything we do is about him. God designed us to live for his glory. This is all over the Bible. It is therefore our life calling and our duty to live for that glory. So does the love of God make you the center? Or does it make him the center? When you think of all the things God does in your life and the things that he accomplishes through you, does it make you the center of attention or does it make God the center of attention? It shouldn't. It should give us everlasting joy because although it was all for his glory, it came at a great cost from him. He suffered. He went through the journey, the painful journey to give us that access that you and I needed. This is what we were made for. Do you understand that the happiness we seek a lot of times can only be found through the purpose of our creation? This recognition is twofold. It brings about personal joy and it also gives him his glory. You and I deserve no glory. And I don't mean that in an offensive way. I deserve no glory. That's why I'm not. If you put me on a pedestal, I will fail you. Sadly. I wish it didn't have to be that way. That, that's why he gets all the glory. It's what he accomplishes through us. That's how we're made right with him. We deserve no glory. We were created for his glory. But sadly, this, this kind of leads me to my second truth today is that we all have fall, failed to glorify God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's crazy. We all should have died. You, you do realize that if we were put, we like to criticize Adam and Eve. But you and I would have probably done the same exact thing. You know, early in my in my. In my Christian life, I used to say, man, I can't wait to see Adam. Because I'm going to say, dude, what's your problem, man? Like, you had one job, bro. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you had a lot of jobs. Sorry. Sorry, Adam. Um, but 
it's, it, we would all do the same thing, in a, in a sense. I mean, we, we can't guarantee that, but I, I'm willing to say that if we would have been sitting in the same position, I would have said all of us would have done the same thing. We would have repeated that same mistake, which leads me to this concept that sin is not mainly the way we have treated people, but the way we have treated God. It's how we have come against God as people. We think that sin is all about us. And let me clarify, God is the center of his own design and creation. Hmm. God is the center of our duty as creatures. And God is the center of what it means to be a sinner. According to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, We all have fallen short. We all have preferred to enjoy some other greatness other than God's greatness in our lives. And if you're honest with yourself, this is something that hits home for a lot of us because we probably do it daily. Sin is first and foremost about how we treat God, not necessarily how we treat others. The first offense of sin is what it does against God, not what you did against yourself or against you did other people. Yes, those things are taking place, but the reality of it is as a believer, you're offending God and what he did for you and how he's led you through this journey. It is personal because what he did for you was personal. Your life is just not this one thing that happened. It is that special to God to the point where he did and accomplished the things that he did. We will never make sense out of the horror of hell or the bloody cross of Christ if we don't feel the weight of sin as an insult to God himself. You and I could sit here all day long, but if you, if you minimize everything in your life thinking that it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, this doesn't, then why did he die for? Then why did he live again? It is a direct message to us principally for us to sit there and say, this is for me. It is that effective. I think it is that personal. I, I always use the example of, 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 of Peter repenting. I might have used this re example here, but when Jesus is telling his disciples he's getting ready to die, the disciples are sitting there, and, and Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, wait a minute, you don't have to die. Come on, let's talk. We can run to the hills, run to the mountains, disappear. What are you talking about, man? We don't have to die. And the Bible says that this is the, the famous story where Jesus rebukes Peter. Satan, get away from me, you know, and all this stuff. And we're like, whoa, why did he call him Satan? It's Peter. And the Bible in Mark says that he actually looked at his disciples before he responded to Peter. And I believe I was sitting right there. That's how personal this is. I believe that when Jesus looked at Peter and said, yeah, running to the hills would have been nice. Forgetting all the suffering that I'm about to go through would be nice. But you know what? What about them? I feel like the disciples were a representation of all of us sitting here today. That he was looking at us and saying, hey, I need to do this for them. It's that personal. I believe I was sitting there. You were sitting there. Everyone was sitting there. So then he rebukes Peter. We will never make sense of this until we understand that sin is not just man abusing man. It is mainly man abusing God. It's man rejecting God. It's man ignoring God. It's man preferring other things other than God. This is the ultimate outrage in the universe. Mm. I'm sorry. It's supposed to be having joy, right? Smile, everybody. Come on. We're here. <clears throat> I 
I mean, God is bigger than our problems. He's bigger than the economy, bigger than the international relationships in North Korea, than Iraq, than the, I don't know, you name it, painful cancer, marriage, whatever. How can we be saved from the judgment of God? There's many other wonderful effects to this gospel, but this one is crucial. Um, um, which leads me to number three, which is the basis of our sermon today. And it's, is God sent his son, Jesus, to provide eternal life and joy. So if there's not joy in your life, then it's a relationship problem with God that you have. Then something else is taking precedent in your personal lives other than the relationship that you have with God. First Timothy 1.15 says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them all. He came to save you. And we have traded that we have traded that for the satisfaction and, and the contentment of an eternal life and joy simply for temporary happiness, for what we want today. Some of you are sitting here thinking what you're going to eat afterwards. Maybe it's just me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So the, there's like a difference here between the joy and the and the happiness concept, and I, I want to create this 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 idea. You know, because when I thought of happiness, I thought, you know, we all do it, we all search for it, we all want it. But early in my, in my Christian life, I thought it was wrong. Because the things that made me happy usually were things that were sinful in a way, I guess. I grew up thinking that it was a sin to pursue it. That wanting to be happy was, was a, a, a moral defect in my life. That self-denial meant renouncing joy, not renouncing lesser joy for the greater joy. It, it, the pleasure of happiness is about the next good thing and the next hit of a good moment. But joy is about contentment overall. Con joy is not circumstantial. When we have joy, we're saying that no matter what happens to us, the everlasting joy of God is within us because of what already happened. It's not circumstantial. You cannot wake up tomorrow and say, I'm really upset. I'm just not having it today. Not till I get my coffee. That's not how joy works. It's not an emotion. The pleasure of happiness is about want. Joy is about freedom from want. Listen, happiness is not bad. But most of the time, happiness is defined as a kind of contentment, a soul-level satisfaction that could only reach so high. Where you're grateful for what's in front of you rather than grasping for more. I, 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 I can't emphasize enough the idea that our lives shouldn't overpower the actions that God has taken in our lives. I tell people all the time, if God stopped doing for you yesterday, he has already done enough. It's that simple. You're like, no way. Who's going to heal me? What about my friend? What about if God stopped right now, he had already done enough for you. All we get in this life is icing on the cake. Okay? It's the, it's the additional blessing of God. You have received enough from God. There isn't an expectation of more. 
Paul was chained in a prison cell and he was singing to God with joy. He had figured it out. Joy is not from circumstances. It came from his contentment on what his Savior had already accomplished. We must discover the joy of conviction and contentment in a culture of compromise. You and I are living in a world that's infested with our feelings and, and letting those things run over and our emotions. The amount of people that you talk to today and say, hey, how do you feel? Oh, that's, just, that's just the way I am. That's how I feel. Friends, if I did everything I felt, be in trouble. Would we agree? If you follow your emotions 100% of the time, I mean, you would have killed people on the road, on road rage. It's not we were talking about hunking the horn this morning on the way here. I mean, we would take it a step further and a step further and a step further because our emotions, that's not what controls us. There's a joy that's significant, that's tied to God directly, that's everlasting, paired up with the life that has been given for free because of his resurrection. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything to Christ who gives me strength. And we have taken that verse and ran with it. As believers, we just say, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I don't need anything else. Thank you, Jesus. See you next year. The verse gets looked at as a success story of life. But if we back up a little bit, it's not simply referring to a good life. When, when we look at this verse, we say, I can do everything. We can, we can think about things that we want to accomplish. Personally, football players get it tattooed on their arms, and, and people just, like, have it in their, in their, in their, in their houses. And, and Hobby Lobby, it's just crazy with it. <laughs> it's so inspiring. Listen, if you don't leave Hobby Lobby with a smile on your face, I don't know what's wrong with you. There's a lot of positive messages in there. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> this, if, we, if we go back a few verses and we go back to verse 11 and verse 12, we can see the breakdown of it. We can see where Paul is actually standing and what, what he says in reference to what we're saying. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the, the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. This makes joy a product of a relationship with Jesus only and not a product of happiness. If, you, if you're here today and you're sad, down, discouraged because of what may have happened this past week, I want to tell you that there is more to your life than everyday experiences than what you want tomorrow, than what you're trying to accomplish in your career. It's way beyond that. We have elevated our personal lives, and our pursuit of happiness has grown up to be so high when the God that gave you life is saying, hey, I'm here. I gave you life. I gave you everlasting joy. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, if we want to cash in on that everlasting joy and life, it says, 
believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And you say, well, is that it? Is that all I have to do? Just believe? You know, I, I, I dislocated my shoulder, my left shoulder many years ago. Doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. We don't have time to get in the middle of that. And, 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 and what, what would happen is as soon as I dislocated my shoulder, I would, I would have these events where if I moved my arm the wrong way, my shoulder would get dislocated and I would have to sit there through time periods. And I, I couldn't, early on, I couldn't figure out how to relocate it back into place. If you ever dislocate your shoulder, you pull your elbow to your belly and then do this with your arm, okay? There you go. <clears throat> now you're ready. Um, I didn't know that back then, right? So um, I, I, I... I dislocated my shoulder. One time I, was, I, was, I had my shoulder dislocated for like 45 minutes. It was so painful. I called my dad. Um, my dad called somebody that, that, that did massages. And he said, he might be able to help you. I was like, it didn't work. So we go to a chiropractor. My shoulder's still dislocated, okay? The chiropractor had never dealt with, you know, a shoulder dislocation like this. So he's got his, his uh, assistant there holding the, the pamphlet. And he's like grabbing my arm and he's like, okay, okay, step one, go this way. And then he's like, flip the page, step two, go this way. And I'm just in pain, just losing it. And after about 20 minutes of that, he says, hey, I can't help you. You're going to have to go to the hospital. Okay. So I, I was <laughs> just like dying, right, with my shoulder being out of place. Um, it wasn't until I got into the hospital and, and they treated me and, and popped it back into place. And I got medication and all that good stuff where everything was fine. And why, why I'm saying all that is because the cry for help gets us connected with the saving work. I called my dad and I said, Dad, I need your help. My shoulder dislocated. So he showed up to my house. But he wasn't able to help me. If, if we were able to have a heart attack, if we had a heart attack today, you would call 911, but that wouldn't be your main remedy. You still need ambulances, paramedics, CPR, nurses, surgeons, and medicine. 911 is just what gets you connected to the saving work. Okay? That is why repentance is also needed in recognition to the faith. Believing in Jesus is the initial step. Yes, I believe he resurrected. I believe he did that. But it is followed and has to be followed by repentance, saying, I can no longer be this person, God. That's a harsh reality. And I wish I could sit here and tell you, if you just believe in him, everything will be fine. No, you believe and you repent and you turn away from your sins. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That is our connection with the saving work of God in Christ. Christ did something for us 2,000 years ago. He came, he lived a perfect life as the Son of God, and he died and, as, as a substitute in your place and my place. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered one sin, once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Our faith is not the basis of our salvation. It connects us to the basis of our salvation. Christ is the basis of our salvation. His death and condemnation is the place of, of 
of our condemnation. His perfect righteousness is the place of our sin and imperfection and his resurrection to validate and secure our salvation and joy forever and ever. The Bible says, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, it says. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because he died for us and rose again, all who trust in him will have everlasting life and increasing joy. Trust in him with your life, your marriage, your singleness, everything that you're going through. You could trust him with your guilt, with your sin, with your fear. It doesn't matter. Trust him with it. You know, a lot of people like to, to look at the, the, the stone rolling away as this concept. Today we have a, we have a, it is a hearing problem we're having. When God looked at the four soils, he said, three out of the four are not going to listen. So 75% of you sitting here today won't listen to me. We have a hearing problem. Only 25% of the people sitting in this room are going to listen to what I'm saying. But you're wondering, is God really trying to get my attention in my life? My life is so small, so insignificant. The Bible says that the stone rolled away. And we all assume it's because God needed a way out. Like Jesus was in the back of the tomb, like, let me out. I'm ready when you are, God. The Bible says that the stone was rolled away so that Mary can see. It, it wasn't for our Savior to get out. He can get out. It was for us to witness and be able to see the miraculous things he was accomplishing in that moment. It's all based around the fact of him trying to get your attention to what he's done for you. He wanted you to see. The angel said, come see. His body is no longer in here. Jesus wasn't standing there saying, oh, thank you for opening up. I was getting thirsty in here. <clears throat> it is finished. He has died and he has risen. And his salvation can be yours by faith in him. And when it is, then will come to fast the fulfillment of what you were made. And it is to give God glory to reflect in that joy forever. It was his act. Therefore, he gets the glory. He gets and we get the benefit. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with giving God the glory? Because we're getting the benefit of it. I want you to stand to your feet. And I, I want us to reflect on this for a second because it is important for us not to let this moment just pass us by this morning. We're, we're quick here. We don't take too much time. We get done early. I was talking to, um, to Styles, and we were talking about how long should these sermons be. And he said to me, as long as it takes you to get the, sermon, the, the point across. And really, that's what we do around here. We put together a sermon, and we let God land this point home. I'm unworthy to be here before you, but I'm even thankful for my life. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my gift, my miracle, my little miracle sitting back there in the kids' ministry. 
my life is just abundantly blessed. And I can't take that for granted. God wanted you to see. My question to you this morning is, are you going to be the 25% or the 75%? It's not whether God is speaking. It's not whether God is trying to get your attention or not. He's speaking. It's whether you're listening. The Bible says that he whispers to his people. You know why God whispers? Because he's so close to you. If I sat up here and whispered to you, you wouldn't be able to hear me because I'm standing way out here. But if God whispers to you and you're able to hear him, that means he's right next to you right now. Don't take that for granted. I'm going to ask two questions. I want everyone to have the opportunity to gain eternal life and everlasting joy this morning. So I'm going to say as we all have our heads bowed this morning, close our eyes. If you want the gift of salvation, if you say, yes, God, I want eternal life and everlasting joy, I want you to slip your hand up. That is all it's going to take. We have a lot of visitors here today, and I want to give you all the opportunity to have this moment with God. It won't take long. Just right there where you're at, say, God, yes, I'm sorry that I have taken you for granted. I want to give you the opportunity, God, to come into my life and give me this eternal joy, this everlasting joy and eternal life that you offer. Right there where you're at, lift up your hand if you want to make that commitment with God this morning. All heads bowed, eyes closed around the room, everyone praying. Anyone? The second thing is this. If you have entered into a relationship with God, but maybe you've kind of fallen back, maybe you've made happiness in your life a priority instead of this life that God offers and this life that he has given you, and you want to get that reconnection back with God in place to say, hey, God, I want to start new. I want to, I want to join with you again. I, want to, I don't want to take you for granted anymore. Slip that hand up and make that commitment to God now, right now, right now. Anyone, I see that hand back there. Anyone else? Anyone else? We all have our moments. This is not a moment where we judge anybody. This is not a time where we sit here and say, oh, you're, you're not good enough or this and that. No, no, no. God is in the room. He is whispering. He didn't run away when he had the opportunity to because you were too precious for him and your life mattered that much to him. So we can't take that for granted this morning. Our life mattered that much to him this morning. Therefore, therefore, it should matter that much to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we thank you so much. There's a life here in this world that has said, I want to rededicate. I want to re reclaim that connection with you, God. God, you are doing amazing things in your people, Lord, and I thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us this morning to recognize and remember the once and for all act that you took to give us life. Jesus, let us not take for granted. Give us convictions that overpower our temptations, God. Help us, Lord, to realize that who's with us is stronger than anything we may face. That you whisper to us, God, so maybe we just have to quiet down a little bit and let you speak. Jesus, minister to us, God. We want to honor you. 
I pray for this life, God. I would pray that, Holy Spirit, you would touch his heart right now, that he would be blessed with your presence in this very moment, God, that he may receive your touch, God. As he has met you here, you meet him here as well, God, and something special and a bond happens today, Lord, that lives on forever. God, let us not forget that you came to life and gave us life. And we should give you glory because we benefit from that. Thank you, Jesus, for everyone in this room. We give you praise and honor forever and ever. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you give God praise this morning?